Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the great Teddy Atlas, coming to you today from Teddy's in Staten Island, and I'm in L.A. doing a, a, a producer to the stars. Rob Moore has uh, put together quite a package here. It's not easy to get these hey, things coordinated. Hey, let's not leave out a very other, very important producer, your wife Shelby. Thank you. She's over <laughs> there. Come on, please. Give her the credit she deserves. She's over there. You, you didn't look all pretty by yourself. Uh, she she did quite a lot of work, quite a lot of work to get this up to speed and have you look as presentable, and you do, you look very presentable, uh, as you do. So thank you, Shelby. One of these days we'll do a behind the scenes and you'll see the setup over here of like, uh, you know, coolers and um, tape and all the shit that's put together so we can have it looking like this and looking professional. I just but, hope um, that Campbell's soup doesn't open up and dump right on top of your head in the middle of the broadcast. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. That's my prized Andy Warhol possession. Hey, before we get started today, I just want to give a shout out to our um, sponsor today, my bookie. Check them out at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS for 50% credit on your first deposit up to $1,000. So put in $2,000. They'll match $1,000 of that. You'll have $3,000 to play with. Again, check them out at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS. And also, I want to give a quick plug to Teddy's audio book. It's now available on Amazon and iTunes. Please be sure to check it out. He reads the book, has conversations between chapters that go deeper than some of the top, deeper on some of the topics than what's in the, the written book. Uh, it's a great book, highly recommended. Please check it out. Uh, again, available on Amazon, iTunes, and Audible.com. Uh, Teddy, thanks for doing this. How you doing? Doing okay. How you doing with your preparation for your big race coming up? Doing good. I'm getting in like 80 to 100 miles the last few weeks. I've got another one or two weeks of uh, intensity and then one or two weeks of taper. And December 8th, we'll uh, empty the tank. Uh, you'll do great. And good luck with that. You're, you're Clark Kent. You'll be Superman <laughs> that day. <laughs> Thanks for, there it is. Superman is about to come out. Thanks for reminding me to take my glasses off. Um. Hey, I, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about, but let's start with the uh, Inouye and Donaire fight. Before I turn it over to you, I'll just give you a couple of my observations. First of all, I thought this was definitely a candidate for fight of the year. Coming into this one, I thought that Inouye was going to blow him right out of the ring. I, I really thought he was going to blast him out of there. It wouldn't go past five or six rounds, and I thought Donaire was maybe a little long in the tooth, but my God. I don't know, and I'm curious to hear your take if you think it was more a, uh, an incredible performance by by Donaire or, in a way, to overcome what he overcame. He he suffered, allegedly, a broken nose and a broken orbital in the second round, and this fight was back and forth the whole time. It was pure entertainment. I loved every second of it, but I'd love to hear what you think and um, and what your observations were because, again, I'm curious who you were more impressed with because both guys were again fought like champions and were complete gentlemen after the fight uh after the fight in a way let Donaire take the uh, Ali trophy back to his back to his hotel room and spend the night with it because he promised his kids that they'd get to see the trophy after the fight it was just that's class it was awesome that's class class it's good to see that you know you you see that great respect for fighters afterwards in the ring I think that's one of the things that gets missed not properly appreciated in our great sport, you know, as uh, you see the the tragedy sometimes, and 
obviously the difficulty of the sports in some ways with the enforcements of it and uh, the administrators of it. And But when the two guys, those two noble warriors get in the ring and they are prepared, boy, and they go at it and they face things that most people will never face in a lifetime. You know, they bear everything. They face their insecurities, all their inhibitions, all their doubts, all their fears. Yeah, fighters have fears too. They're human. And they face all of that in front of a, in front of the world. And they put it all on the line. It doesn't get any better. And then when it's over with, and they go at it tooth and nail, the way they do in some of the most epic battles, then they embrace. And it's one of the most genuine things that you're ever going to see in life, in sports, in anything. Because that embrace is real, it's sincere, it's heartfelt. Because what it is, is they're hugging each other saying, I know what you went through. I know what you went through. I just went through it with you. And I know the darkness of what we just faced. And we got through it. And thank you. I know it sounds crazy to some people. You just went battle with somebody 12 rounds. But that's what they're saying. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to go to a place that maybe I didn't even know till tonight I could go to and pushing me to that place. And I appreciate, I appreciate that I found out something about myself that maybe I didn't know before, or maybe I found out again that was still there. And maybe that's exactly what Donaire was thinking. I found out again it was still there. And so those hugs, those embraces are as pure as it gets. And at that moment, it's one of the most pure things for the world to see because there's no race, there's no ethnicity, there's no religion, there's no creed. There's nothing that matters, nothing that is seen by those two noble warriors, nothing except two men that faced what most people never face and went through it and pushed each other to the limits. That's all that's seen, nothing else. Nothing else matters. And that's a reminder for all of us in life. Nothing else should matter. (laughs) Nothing else should matter. Just what a human being is in their core. The humanity of a person. The character of a person. That's all that should matter. People could take a lesson from that. So that's what I wanted to say. um, That we had the opportunity just now, it seemed, to say that. And yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think it was both sides that that stepped up. First of all, like you said, Ken, most people thought at 37 years of age or just about that birthday that Donaire was, you know, Donaire would have no chance. But Customato used to always say to me, on a given night, if a former champion, and Donaire's a former champion of several weight classes, if a former champion can remember and bring back for one night what he has been in the past, even though it looks like it's past him, for one night, a champion can remember and bring it back. 
Wow. You better look out. The other guy better be worthy. He better be the real deal. The other guy usually is the champion, uh, as in the case here with Donaire, uh, with um, with Inouye. But Cuz would always say that. You're fighting a former champion. Sometimes you think the guy's past himself. And Holyfield's a great example of that. I mean, most people thought when he was getting ready to fight Tyson, there were people that were saying he might Tyson might kill him. I mean, there were people that were saying the commission was irresponsible to make that fight. I mean, because Holyfield hadn't looked good in his few fights before that, and Tyson was this, you know, Darth Vader destroyer of worlds, of people. And, you know, the, and the power was still there with Tyson. So, and what happened? On that night, the character, the championship quality of Holyfield, it came back. He remembered. He remembered. Champions can remember. Champions can remember. Even if their body has forgotten, their heart, their soul, their mind can remember. And look out. And like Cus said, the guy facing him, the guy who's the champion, he better be every bit of that champion he's supposed to be. And you know what? Inouye was every bit of that champion that we thought he had to be. And he was able to handle a test that was a lot greater than people thought it was going to be. It was a terrific fight with great, great moments. And we can't forget, as I break this fight down, we can't forget that, and this is an element, a tangible element that was part of it, that... Inui was stepping up in weight. I mean, this is a guy that really, he won a title when he had about, what, six, seven, eight fights? I mean, really early. You'll look at it. You'll, you'll let me know. But he he won a, his first title, and I think it was that, I think it was that light flyweight, if my memory serves me, light flyweight. And, <laughs> and now he's all the way up to bantamweight. So that's an element that was part of this because I think the size advantage, the bigger guy, Donaire, being the bigger man, it helped him absorb when he had to absorb. And it gave him the also the ability size-wise. He was always a puncher, Donaire. It gave him the ability to hurt Inui when he had to. So I think the size was definitely a factor. And I think it's a reminder, before I go further in breaking this fight down, that even great fighters get to their their max. Like the great Lomachenko, and I think he's great. I got him number one. I got Crawford number two. You could flip-flop to two of them, you know, depending what flavor you like that day. You like strawberry, you like vanilla, you like uh, chocolate, you like sprinkles on it, or whatever. But both of them are great. Um, but... Lomachenko, I think he's gotten to his max. He's at lightweight now. He came up from featherweight, junior lightweight, lightweight. I don't think he can go much any further uh, and be at the supreme place that he's at. And the same thing for Inouye. You know, I think that he maxed out. I think this is it. And uh, again, I think that was part of the element in this fight was the size. And 
with that size, this is how I saw the fight. I saw I saw Donaire, the former champion, looking to back up. He had a plan. I'm going to back up the smaller guy, the guy whose nickname is Monster. If you're nicknamed Monster, you know, <laughs> right there, that could be a problem, right? Right there, you got to be ready. I'm, I'm, who are you fighting next week? I'm fighting Monster. Whoa, oh, oh, all right. Ah, you hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. So he's fighting this great puncher and great fighter in a new way. And his plan was, I'm the bigger guy. You know what? I'm going to back him up. He's never been backed up. I'm going to put him on his back foot and take away, negate some of his ability to be set. There's different ways you can take away the ability for a better puncher or a good puncher or a great puncher um, to not be set. One is to give angles. Uh, like Alex, like we did with with Alexander Volzik. I don't usually use my fighters as examples. I don't like to do that. But it came to mind when we fought the great champion Adonis Stevenson, who was a champion five and a half years and was one of the greatest punches I've ever seen in boxing. And at that time, maybe the best puncher in boxing, either him or Wilder, either one. And we had to give him angles and to keep him offset, to keep him from being set. And the other way to do it is to back a guy up. And that's what Donaire did. And he backed up Inouye and kept him a little bit on his back foot that way and was big enough to handle what he had to handle and big enough to deliver what he had to deliver. And then I saw the fight with Inouye making adjustments, doing what great fighters do, Ken. Great fighters, when they're pushed into that place, they come up with something. They adjust. And knew he never had to adjust before. He was always the boss. Always the boss. Getting his way, pushing a fight, pushing, you know, the, the geography of the fight, if you will. And in this case, because of what I just said, he had to make an adjustment. And the great ones do, and he did. What did he do? He started using his legs. Started using his legs more than he ever did. He started pot shotting. He started timing shots. And he did a great job of countering with left hooks and right hands. Keep him keeping Donaire off balance. And going into, if my memory serves me correct, going into the eighth round, I had a Nui in the way. Oh, how do you pronounce his name? Is it a Nui or in the way? I would say in a way. In a way, okay. In a way, it might be in a way. In, in that sort of way. Okay, I got and you. By the I way, mean, he won they, He won his first title in his sixth fight. Wow, and that was six. a. Um, I knew it was early. Was, yeah, and that was a um, light, fly, light flyweight title. And then in his eighth fight, he moved up and won the um, flyweight title, super flyweight, and then moved up to Bantam. Yeah, pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. You can do those kind of things. You could be called monster. So in a way, he makes these adjustments. And like I said, I got him winning going into around the eighth round. I got him ahead. And then all of a sudden, it starts changing a little bit. And I'm trying to remember what round, but I mean... It was it was back and forth, like you said. It was ebb and flow, and that's what great fights are, ebb and flow. 
you know, whether it's Gaddy and, you know, and Mickey Ward or Castillo and uh, and uh, Corrales or whatever. I mean, it's ebb and flow. It's back and forth. It's different chapters to the story. And the script gets flipped every once in a while. And that's what it was. And then I think it was maybe the 10th, 11th round, um, maybe the ninth round maybe, but uh, Donaire catches. And another thing I want to add in, it was the jab of, in a way too, that he used really a lot in his fight. So he used his legs, he pot-shotted, he picked spots, he timed, he counter-punched, and he used that jab. And he did a tremendous job of making those adjustments that he had to make in this fight with a bigger former world champion. And then in the ninth round, he gets caught and gets stunned. I think it was the ninth round. Um, he gets caught by the right hand over his jab. He was getting caught, Ken, with he being in a way with a lot of right hands during the night. And then he got hurt a couple times with the right hand. And the reason he was getting caught, because I didn't hear anybody really point out, you know, other than saying, hey, he's, you know, he got hit with a right hand. The reason why he was getting caught with the right hand is because of the size difference. Because Donaire was taller, longer. We know he was heavier, but he was longer. And in a way, being a guy that moved up, as you just confirmed, all the way from light flyweight, he's never been in with a guy of this kind of length, of this kind of size. And the right hands were longer than he estimated, longer than he was used to. And so when he would throw his jab, in a way, and he's a technically good fighter, when he would throw his jab, Ken, he would start it from a little too close. And again, he didn't estimate, he didn't, you know, understand, make up for the difference of the length of Donaire's right hand. So Donaire's right hand was able to time the jab of Inouye. So not only time the jab, but long enough to get through. Long enough to where Inouye normally would have been out of range, he was still in range. So the length of the right hand of Donaire really caused a problem all night long and a serious problem in spots where he nailed him. And again, that's the reason where a lot of you great fans there, you know, watching, thinking, oh, he's getting hit with right. I believe it was because he was facing a longer right hand than he ever faced before. That's simple. And so that, that was a big X factor where that was always there for Donaire. And it was. And it got to the point where, let me see if I remember, if I look at my notes, where as we got into the 10th and 11th round, in a way, well, he got caught, I guess it was the ninth round, right? Where he got caught with the right hand, he got hurt, and then in, in a way had to come back. There's the ebb and flow. And Inouye comes back in the 10th round. In the 11th round, Inouye drops Donaire with a vicious body shot. Again, if you want to 
litmus test of the kind of heart, a barometer of the kind of heart that Donab has and showed that night, you get hit with a left hook to the liver, most guys ain't getting up. Willie Pastrano didn't get up. He was a great boxer when he fought Jose Torres years ago for the light heavyweight title. And he was a great boxer, great chin, everything. Jose Torres hit him on the left hook in the body. He he was, I mean, it just debilitated him. You know, your your mind is clear, um, but your legs are saying, hey, leave me alone. You know, go bother somebody else. Let me the way Den, the the way Denier handled it too. He didn't just go straight down. He kind of turned, cringed, and almost like ran away to buy himself a few seconds. Literally, he just turned, ran around the ring for for maybe three seconds, then took a knee, took the full like almost right, got up right before the ten count, and really bought himself a few extra seconds. And like you said, it was just, it was a perfect. Perfect um, turn of events for that fight, just the ebb and flow and the and the guts and determination to get and back then, up. In a way, looked to finish him in eleventh. I believe it was the eleventh, right? And he looked to finish him. And while he was looking to finish him, as epic fights usually have, the champion, the former champion, Donaire, he wasn't done talking yet. He still had something to say. And he hits him a left hook. <laughs> he, he hits him like a salacious left hook. And that's another thing. Donaire showed what he showed, but the champion, the younger fighter, in a way, showed what he showed. He showed a great chin. He showed great heart. He showed the ability, as I said earlier, to make a transition, to adjust when he needed to. And he showed what most great champions have to show at some point, like Ali. He showed a great chin. And at a heavier weight, he survived that shot. And he survived the other shots, the right hands that he was getting hit again, as I said, because he just was underestimating the length of the right hand of this bigger man, this longer man, that he had never been in there with a guy quite of that physical stature. So I I want to end it by saying that I don't think Donaire at this point in his career will or can ever be as good as he was that night. I think that he squeezed every bit of championship blood that was in him. He squeezed it out like you squeeze a, a lemon or something. But he squeezed every bit of it out and left it in the ring on the canvas. And I just don't see him ever being able to come close to that kind of performance again. And as I said earlier, I don't think in a way... I don't think unless there was a perfect spot, you never know. But I don't think in a way, I think he hit his max as far as going up in weight classes. I think he's, like I said earlier, at the same place that Lomachenko is. That's kind of that's kind of it. That's He shouldn't go much higher or any higher. Yeah. 
Well, it was an excellent fight, and we've been treated to some really good battles this year. I think, you know, J-Rock Williams and Jared Hurd is another one that comes to mind. Um, Joshua Ruiz. This been, it's been a good year of, of, of fights, and um, I definitely put this one up there for candidate, uh, for fight of the year, for sure. Both you guys know what's sad awesome. about it, though, Ken? That a lot of people didn't get to see it. Yeah, because, that's true. Because it was on the zone, on the app, and it was on at 5 o'clock in the morning. On Am a I Thursday. Correct? Yeah, and it was on a weekday. And it was on a weekday. It's even worse yet. Worse <laughs> yet. So, you know, unless, uh, you know, unless you're coming in at 5 in the morning uh, or getting up for work at 5 in the morning, but I don't think if you're getting up for work, I don't think you're, you're going to have, you probably have time for glass orange juice and a, and a quick cup of coffee, but I don't think you got time to watch twelve rounds of boxing. So, <laughs> I I mean, it's really it's that's that's the thing that gets missed with some of this stuff is that you know just like we talk about a lot of people hide from it, but we talked about you know and, and the fans don't hide from it; they feel it, they they deal with it, and I think they're glad that we take up their case. Then we try to. That's what we're here for. That's one of the purposes of this show is to take up the case of the fan. And, um, you know, in that Canelo-Kovalev fight, it was just too damn late. And this one was too damn early. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just, you know, what, what can I say? Well, let's talk about there's a big upcoming fight this weekend, Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz uh, part two. I want to they say fought. one other thing, just for a second. Because I reminded myself of something I didn't give that great champion credit for. One of the things that showed itself throughout the whole fight, his balance. His ba I talked about his counterpunching, his ability to use his leg, his jab, his pot shotting, his counterpunches, but his balance. He's always balanced. He's always in position in a way. Never out of position. Always set. And he reminds me, and people are going to be a little surprised, you know, he reminds me of Ken. He reminds me of the late great Joe Lewis. I know different weight classes, heavyweight, but he reminds me of Joe Lewis in that way. Joe Lewis was always balanced. He had a great trainer, Jackie Blackburn, who was also a great fighter, and he doesn't get enough credit because people don't remember that far back, and people don't talk about the history of boxing enough. Uh, you know, but baseball they do. You know, I'm not going to talk about the other sports because their history is not that long. Boxing's got a long history. Baseball's got a long history. And people, there's always someone talking about the baseball history, you know, reminding us of guys like, you know, Ty Cobb and, you know, and, and all those, uh, Satchel Page and just all those great players from so far back. Of course, Willie Mays, not, not as far back, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, all those guys. But not in boxing, not enough. And Joe Lewis was, one of, with all his assets and all his great strengths, he was always balanced. He was never freaking out of position. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Never. Always in position. Always. That was because Jackie Blackburn, in that case, really developed Joe Lewis. And I see the same thing in, Uno, in a way. So I just wanted to... Throw that at him, too. Not that I didn't throw enough bouquets at him, but I wanted to throw him one extra one to the monster. 
And uh, pick it up, counselor. Pick it up. <laughs> well, let's talk about Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz uh, part two. They fought the first one March 3rd, 2018. Uh, Wilder scored a TKO in the 10th round, but not before he was uh, in big trouble in the 7th round. Ortiz had him. I mean, I think Ortiz was one or two punches away from knocking Wilder out. But to Wilder's credit, he fought like a champion, dug deep and come in and uh, closed the show with a TKO stoppage in the 10th. He was up 85-84 on all three scorecards at the time of the stoppage. So this was no uh, walk in the park. And to his credit, he's getting in there again with Ortiz. I'm actually surprised that he would want to take this fight again before he's got, um, before he allegedly is going to face um, Tyson Fury uh, sometime early next year. But curious to hear your thoughts on this one. We're going to get right to what I think counts. Um, Ortiz is 40 years old, unless he's 41, but he's at least 40. And, of course, he's a southpaw. He was a southpaw the first time. He'll be a southpaw the second time. And southpaws get hit with right hands. And guess what? Wilder punches pretty damn good with the right hand. And um, so the history... The history of this sport has shown us, if you look at the history, you examine it, Ken, it has shown us that you have a, when you have a rematch between two guys who fought a great fight the first time and they left it all in the ring and the one who lost was the older one by a you know significant amount, Ortiz is 40, I think Wilder is 34, um... And Wilder didn't have a lot of amateur fights, you know. He started late, so he's he does he's not he doesn't have a lot of miles on the odometer. Even at thirty four, he's a very young thirty four. Where Ortiz had a big amateur career and all that. And of course, even though you look at the record of Wilder, and you see a lot of you know you see a lot of a lot of fights on that record, but they were easy fights. They were easy fights. I mean, except you know, Ortiz was a tough fight, but on the whole, as he was being built up, I mean, he was, he was like the old timers would say, he was on a soft diet. He was on a soft diet, buddy. He was on Campbell's soup diet. All right, Campbell's soup, right above your head. That that's what that's what he was eating. He was eating a lot of Campbell's soup, and um, but listen, give him all the credit in the world. He got there. But the point I'm making is that when you go through the history of this sport, the older fighter, the older one, in the rematch, he's usually blown out the second time because he's not able to replicate the initial effort physically or mentally, especially mentally. Um, they feel... They feel like they did everything they could. Just try to understand this, Ken, and, and I'm sure the fans will too. When you got a rematch like this and, and it was a terrific fight and the older guy fights a tremendous fight and he has the younger guy on the brink of, of beating him, but he doesn't get it done. The second time, he's got nowhere to go, baby. I mean, physically, but mentally. He he physically left it in the ring, but mentally it's like I did everything I could. 
I couldn't be any better. And I lost. And so he's deflated. And the mental part is 75% of this business, baby. Sometimes 80%. Sometimes 85%. Sometimes 90%. The older you are, the more the percentage goes up. So here, that the history has shown us that. I mean, I'll give you the examples. Jersey Joe Walcott, the great Jersey Joe Walcott. What a great heavyweight champ. Great fighter. Great puncher. Pioneer. Used to make moves. Ali copied some of his moves. Uh, our friend Mazador even used one of his moves. You know, the, the great UFC champion. Uh, when, when he moved to the side a little bit, then came with the flying kick and knocked out his opponent in five seconds. Uh, he set him up. Jersey Joe used to set guys up with the movement. He'd start walking this way, start walking that way, and then get you a little mesmerized, and then all of a sudden, bang, catch you with something. And Jersey Joe Wolfcott fought as good as he could fight, maybe the greatest fight he ever fought, against Marciano a younger fighter, Marciano fighting for the title the first time. And Walcott's ahead going into the 13th round. Matter of fact, if it was a 12-round fight, he would have won. There would have been no Marciano. Yeah, there would have been no Marciano. So the only undefeated heavyweight champ, 49-0. And Larry Holmes came close, but then somebody named Michael Spinks came up and stopped that from happening. So he's fighting... Jersey Joe Walcott is beating the young, strong Brockton blockbuster, Rocky Marciano, 13 rounds. And the only way he can lose is by knockout because he's ahead on all the scorecards. And what happens? He gets knocked out in the 13th round. Fought an, I'll say it again. I, want, I can't overstate. Fought a fabulous, magnificent fight. Couldn't fight any better. And in the rematch... And this is significant because this is what I'm using for this is what I'm using for example, for proof of of my theory of what I believe. This is my if I'm in the courtroom, you look like a lawyer, Ken, by the way. <laughs> you do. You look like a lawyer. You look like a winning lawyer. A lawyer that probably gets overpaid though. Probably gets <laughs> overpaid a little bit. But but still, you look like a lawyer. And you know, so if I'm in a courtroom I'm, and I'm trying to make my case of I'm trying to make right now, that's exhibit A. Because in that second fight, in their rematch, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. Walcott gets blown over, run over in one round. He, he, he couldn't replicate the effort mentally, emotionally, physically. And I know for a fact in this one case, sometimes it might be my opinion from experience. In this case, uh-uh, I'm calling a witness. I know for a fact that it's true. Because the late, the late, great. see, there's one of your clients. There's one of your clients. <laughs> they need you. They need you, Ken. You got to be available. <laughs> so at the last second, anyway, so the late, great, and he was a friend of mine, and he was one of the great promoters of all times, one of the great matchmakers of all time, a magnificent ambassador to this sport, and we don't have enough of them. Don Shargan, the Silver Fox. He t 
talked to Walcott after that fight. And Walcott told Don Sharkin, the great Don Sharkin, that going into that rematch, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember pretty much almost exactly verbatim what he told me from the conversation that he had with, with the great Jersey Joe. Jersey Joe told Don Shargan, Don, when I went into that rematch, I knew I couldn't do anything to beat this guy. In my mind, I did everything in that first one. Everything. And he still got me. He still got me. And I just felt like I, I felt defeated. And this is the great Jersey Joe Walker. Now, he would never say this to the press. He would never say that. There's another lesson for our audience. A lot of these great fighters, a lot of these great people, a lot of these great leaders, a lot of these great whatever they are that you look up and you admire and you wish you were like, they got the same doubts you got. They got the same little, sometimes those bad guys on the shoulder, you know, tapping the shoulder once in a while. Psst, 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 psst. Hey, hey, hey. Why don't you give in? Hey, why don't you why don't you why don't you get out of here? They got that same stuff going on. So I think it's a great reminder to our great audience out there that even the great ones have those doubts. But you're never gonna know it. You're never gonna know it. But now you know it. So he told Don Shargan, I just didn't feel I could win that fight. I didn't feel that I could do anything better. And what happens? He gets run over in one round. And I'll give you another one because you put your glasses back on. So you reminded me we're still in the courtroom. <laughs> I'll give you another one. The great Alexis Arguello. He fights one of the great fights of all time with Aaron Pryor. And our great fans out there are going to say, yeah, Ted, bring that up. Yeah, let's remember Pryor. Pryor was great. Drugs got him, at, I'm sorry, and hurt him. But he was great. He was great. And I always remember how great he was. His will, everything. And he fights the great Alexis Oguello. Oguello was older. Oguello had more miles on the odometer. Oguello was several weight class champion. And Aaron Pryor fights him. And if my memory serves me correct, it went late. I mean, you probably find it or Rob will find it. it was, I believe that was a 15-round fight too back then. And... I don't remember exactly if it was 12 rounds it went or it went 14 rounds. Whatever it was, doesn't matter. I mean, we'll get the number before I'm finished. But they fight this great fight back and forth, just like what we're describing in Ortiz and Wilder. Moments for both guys. Tremendous, historic fight. And what happens? Pryor gets to him. Pryor, uh, Oguello fights one of the greatest fights he ever fought. And people are going to say, Teddy, how could you pick a losing fight for a great fight as one of the great fights? It happens. Even though he lost, just like Jersey Joe, it might have been the greatest fight he ever fought because of who he was in there with. And he fights this great fight with Aaron Pryor, and Pryor still beats him. Pryor still overcomes him. Pryor swarms him. In that round, what round was it? I'm, I'm trying to find it. One sec. He swarms him in that last round, late in the fight, tremendous fight, and he stops him. He knocks him out. And then what? 
They fight a rematch. If my memory serves me, it was in Miami. Tenth round. And, if, and a lot of people, but not the experienced veterans of this sport, but a lot of people are saying, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. But just like in the movies, Ken, usually, usually the follow-up is not as good. You know, what's the word, Rob, for when, when you got the second movie? It's... Uh, the sequel, usually the sequel. I'm so glad I got smart guys around me. I am so blessed. I. The sequel is usually, unless it's The Godfather. The Godfather 2 was pretty damn good. That was, that was pretty damn good. With a young De Niro showing you a young Corleone in Sicily. Wow, that was good. But other than that, sequels can be disappointing. And same thing in rematches sometimes. Sometimes. And especially when one guy is older and the other guy is younger. And again, they have the rematch, Oguayo and Pryor in Miami, and what happens? Not even close. Not even close. It's it's a mismatch. It's a mismatch. Uh, Pryor goes right through him. Maybe knocks him out in eight rounds, something like that. But he goes right through him. Not near the drama of the first fight, the resistance. You know why? He didn't have any resistance to give anymore. He got him with a TKO in the first fight. That was the first one was in Miami in um, 82. Uh, okay, Aaron Pryor by TKO in the 14th round. Then in the rematch, they fought in um, Vegas. And oh, okay. Aaron Pryor got him in the 10th round by a full KO. Knocked him out. Yeah. So I had it flip-flopped as far as the sights. Yep. But... Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't near as compared. It was it was more one side. It was just the character of Oguayo that even kept him around, um, that championship character that kept him around for ten rounds. But again, the the former champion, the guy who was older, who gave everything, who spilt it all out on the canvas, not able to replicate it. Not able. I know a lot of people are going to say, "Oh, this was a great." You know, Teddy. There's a bunch of rematches that were great. Uh, Mickey Ward and Gaddy, uh, comparable ages, yes. Nothing really matched the first one, though. Nothing matched the first one. But comparable ages, and nobody nobody got destroyed. Nobody got knocked out in the end. We're talking about where one guy is older, he fights his heart out, pours it out, and gets beat, and then comes back with the same guy who's younger than him, that's what we're talking about. Those guys are not able to replicate what they did the first time. So, having said that, because for me, this is what it's all about. Because, you you know, usually I'll break it down this way. I, I did enough. Right hand of Wilder against the Southpaw to be there against. Um, Wilder technically has a million flaws. Can he get caught again? Yeah. Million ways you could get caught by Ortiz, who's a good counterpuncher, good fighter, uh, good puncher. Yeah, yeah, there'd be a million ways you could get caught because Wilder sometimes, even though he's so long and he's so tall, he's so big, but he still doesn't know how to use his height consistently. He still gets off balance, out of position, all of that stuff, all of that. But at the end of the day, he's got that great eraser, the right hand, and... I think it'll be there again. I don't see Ortiz. And I'm going to lay myself on the line. I'm going to lay myself where people can be critical of me. 
you know, and come after me. I'm going to say that in my theory, in my way of thinking, what I just laid out, I'm going to say that Wada gets Ortiz out of there within five rounds. Matter of fact, I'm going to go better. I'm going to say he gets him out in one round. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say that he there's a chance, you know, can I sit on the fence? I'm not known for sitting on the fence. Can I have my cake and eat it too a little bit? Attorney, a counselor, <laughs> counselor, can I have my cake and eat it too? Can I appeal uh, to the courts that, that I'd say within five rounds, but I wouldn't be shocked if Wilder gets him out in one or two. <laughs> well, to, re- to uh, emphasize your point about the younger man in the rematch usually getting the better of the older man, here's an even more relevant uh, example. Wilder fought, fought um, Bermaine Stavern in January of 2015. There's a good one. That's a good one. Go ahead. He beat him in a unanimous decision. They rematched about 18 months, almost two years later. Call it two years in uh, November of 17. Blasted him out of the ring in the first round. Almost like just destroyed him. And kind of, kind of a lot of the things we're talking about, right? Exactly what you just described. And and. And uh, Stavern was almost the same age then as as Ortiz is now. Same exact scenario where it's the only opponent, with the exception of Tyson Fury, that Deontay Wilder hasn't knocked out. Stavern went the distance with him. To, to Wilder's credit, he made the rematch with him, didn't have to, and blasted him out first-round knockout. So I agree with you. Um, the predictions brought to you, by my bookie again check them out at mybookie.ag use the promo code atlas for 50 percent credit on your first deposit and teddy's predicting um wilder by knockout under the under let's say five rounds possibly a first round stoppage i'm going to agree with you i think i think wilder gets him out of there in a hurry wilder has so many big fights on the horizon to get in there with someone if he didn't think if he wasn't supremely confident he could knock Ortiz out, I can't imagine he would take this dangerous fight again. I think they see something that the public probably doesn't in that exactly what you just described, that they think they can get this guy out of there quickly. There's so many money fights on the on the horizon for him, including Tyson Fury, who's supposed to be next. Yeah, no, I, I listen, I agree. I agree with you uh, 100%. And... Um, that's the way I see it. And if all fans out there, uh, I, I never pat ourselves too much on the back because that's not polite. But And, and plus, we're, we're not infallible. We can be wrong. I'm wrong plenty of times. Um, just go in the next room and ask my beautiful wife. <laughs> but, um, you know, I will say that if you guys have been listening out there and using my bookie out there, baby, you know, you might have a few extra shekels put away before the holidays <laughs> because we picked a few of them that were okay. That's right. <laughs> we got Wilder as a minus 620 favorite, Ortiz plus 460. But one more thing I wanted to point out just before we um, sign off is that it's an interesting state of affairs right now in the uh, heavyweight division, especially with the top-ranked ESPN situation because with Showtime having um, or Al Heyman having um, Wilder and then they've got, uh, you've got the zone showing um, Ruiz and Joshua, top-ranked lone heavyweight superstar is uh, Tyson Fury and they don't have a lot of other uh, heavyweight opponents for him 
And that's why they're out there shopping in the streets now, looking to sign guys up. I'm sure that's exactly right. And one of the guys was in action last weekend is uh, Corbat Pulev, who fought Rydell Booker. And I mean, this was honestly, this was an embarrassing fight. Booker, I mean, he, he 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 was so out of shape. He was hanging on for dear life from halfway through the fight. It literally, I mean, I think the commentators pointed it, pointed out this fact as well. It, it looked like a sparring session at best. Neither guy looked to want to win the fight. Poole ev- eventually got the decision, but it's just an example of this this relationship between Top Rank and ESPN. It almost feels like it's a win-win for Top Rank. They're using this relationship as a, almost like a, a farm system for their promotion. They're just building up these guys, keeping them, giving them these get-busy fights, Um all in the hopes of keeping Tyson Fury busy when he's not fighting someone of note, which, you know, I, I allegedly he's going to fight Wilder again, but I'll believe that one when I see it. He's just, his last two fights were against opponents at best. I think um, Otto Wallen surprised him a little and gave him a little more than he thought he was going to get. But I mean, Tom Schwartz had no business being in the ring with an elite heavyweight. Um so it's just an interesting, uh, interesting thing to keep an eye on with this top rank ESPN relationship. Um, you know, it's almost like the seventies and eighties. They had a run of about twenty years, I think, back on ESPN where they were developing fighters. You know, again using it like a farm system and. I'll just be curious to see what happens here. I mean, they're even out there talking about signing Jarrell Miller if they haven't already. I mean, Jarrell Miller was caught red-handed doping in a sport that there isn't really a lot of room for doping. I mean, you can't be, like we've talked about before, you're not going to get up there and crush a baseball 500 feet. You're going to punch someone's head as hard as you can. And we've seen, especially this year, what can happen when people get caught the wrong way. And you know, to reward this guy with a big Jarrell Miller, I'm talking about to reward him with a big contract because you need heavyweight opponents for your marquee guys is just it's it's not a good look. And uh, be curious to see how things play out there. Well, that's one of the problems with boxing. We've been over it before, you know. And after a while, it feels like you're beating a dead horse talking about it. To be quite frank, but um, and I've talked about I use my podium my platform at ESPN all those years to, to yell about it as much as I could and try to, I got Senator McCain at the time involved and, you know, did the best we could, but we never got there. And that's to get a national commission in boxing, you know, because uh, unless you have somebody who's going to lay forward unilateral um, testing rules, rules and enforcement of those rules but in this case we're talking about something really important like you just brought up testing for peds in a in a sport that should never have that never have that for the exact reason you just talked about and unless we ever had you know a a commission that's going to put those rules in place unilaterally across the board every we're going to have doping in the sport, to be quite frank with you. I'm not going to name names and go crazy with it right now, but there's doping in the sport. There's doping, and we know it already. You just mentioned one guy, Terrell Miller. So we already, there's Exhibit A there, and we we got a plenty of other guys that have been tested and, and found out. But what happens? What is the punishment? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. 
I mean, what stops them? I mean, like you said, Miller's going to get rewarded. And you said it. You made me chuckle when you said it initially on our podcast. But uh, but you were right. You said he was found with like every drug under the sun. Like if you turned the lights off, you would have had you would have saw like neon. Yeah, I mean he he would have been glowing, you know. And yet he gets rewarded. What what happened? What what happened? What was the punishment? Nothing. So again, this sport. I say it again. I say it. I'm. I say it. I get myself in trouble all the time. Anyway, what the hell? Uh, but the truth is the truth. There's a doping problem. There is. There is in the sport, and it shouldn't be. Not in this sport. But it will never be, ever eradicated, without the infrastructure to be put in place to make these rules have some true teeth to them. To, to to have some some power to them, you know. Yeah, you have one commission. Uh, you have one organization might say, "Oh, you know, uh, we have testing. We have to." But what is the testing? What is the testing? The the testing is is when maybe they're in competition for seven eight weeks. But what about before that? You know, you understand that even better. You made the point to me one time. It was a great point. Lance Armstrong never got tested. Dirty. He never got caught with a dirty test. What what eliminated him was was well, you can say it, it was uh, test, testimony testimony of his co-conspirators, other guys that were on his teams that knew he was doping, and they basically offered those guys um, uh, what's the word? They basically offered them immunity to testify against Lance. So they gave them maybe a six month suspension in the off season, but for Lance. Based on the testimony of his co-conspirators, he was convicted and uh, banned for life. And here's a guy, here's, yeah, banned for life. They did something. But here's a guy that, that never tested positive. They had to get him the way they got him. And you have in our sport where it's not somebody riding a bicycle. Oh, my God. Somebody punches someone in the freaking head that, that can have this stuff in their veins, in their blood. And and what do you have? It's a joke. It's a joke. You have inadequate testing. If you even have tests, and then you have guys where they say you got to test, and they don't show up for the test. And isn't I mean, <laughs> look, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Right now, they showed up to test him. He did a runner. He basically was like, "I'm not taking the test." Ran away from the tester. So Nevada State <laughs> Athletic Commission said the fight's not here. So what did the zone do? Guess where the fight is? Phoenix. They moved it to Arizona, and, and I just saw yesterday the Nevada State Athletic Commission sent a letter to Hearn and said, you need to come before us and explain what's going on because if this is the case, you're not They just here. explained it. You don't need to come before us. By running away, you explained it. Exactly. <laughs> if, I see, the other if, thing, if I see a guy running out of a bank with, with, with ink all over him, straight all over his face, and, and $100 bills flying around in the air, I know what he did. <laughs> Well, here's, here's, I don't need no one to tell me. Here's the other thing I'll say about the doping testing. If you saw that documentary, Icarus, it emphasizes the fact that even under the strictest conditions, it's hard to catch guys who are doping with the most stringent yeah. testing of the Olympic testing. And then you had an entire country, the entire country of Russia was doping their athletes like systematically and you still couldn't catch them. My point is if you don't have a centralized governing body that's running these tests, year round 
out of competition. That's the only way you're going to catch people. Otherwise, it's a they're going to be it's, it's, they're going to be doping, cycling on and off drugs. And they are obviously they are exactly. obviously they are. We know they are. Yep. We 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 proved it. But again, you said it. You said it well. You know, on so many levels, we're not set up for it. You know, you got some of these organizations say, oh, we're going to test our top 15 guys. And then all of a sudden, one of their top 15 guys is a, you know, is a big, uh, a big breadwinner for them. They get a lot of money from their sanctioning fees. And he doesn't want to be tested. Eh, it's okay. You don't have to be tested. <laughs> okay. You don't have to be tested. We're going to, we'll fine you. We'll slap you on the wrist. Maybe they fine them. Maybe they fine them. They don't even fine them. But whatever. And and then like you said, it's not adequate testing. It's it's sporadic. They 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 pick their spots when they do it. The guys can refuse to be tested. Oh, oh my forget about it. I mean it's we'll we'll continue. We'll continue to talk about this, especially when we're in person. But um we we should continue to dig deeper on this and continue to bring experts in and 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 talk to people because even even the the smoke screens that some of the commissions throw up by saying oh we're doing testing but again in competition testing within like a six to eight weeks window of the fight that 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 becomes not a PED test that becomes an intelligence test are you intelligent enough to know when to stop taking the drugs you're taking so you don't get tested the end that- well Miller Miller you would say no no well clearly Miller, he I, think I mean he that guy failed to test no, for every not. single drug in competition I mean the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> But but a lot of the guys are smart enough to know how to get around. That's it, right, you know, and and it's not hard to get around. You just said it because the the testing isn't it, it's it's not even thorough. It's loose. It's way too loose. Yes, and again, it's sporadic. It's uh, like some people get tested, some don't get tested. Shouldn't everyone get tested? Uh, some guys could say, no, I don't want to be that. What do you mean you don't want to get tested? What do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? What, what are you talking about you don't want to get tested? I, 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 but again, when you don't have anybody in charge that's saying these are the rules and have significant repercussions if you break the rules, you're going to continue to have chaos. Yep. You're going to continue to have, you know, no allegiance to rules. And in this case, people that dope, you're going to continue to have in a very dangerous sport to begin with, a very tough sport to begin with, you're going to have people that have an unfair extra edge in stuff that is in their veins that could really hurt somebody. Yeah. We're trying. We're trying. Well, listen, Teddy, thanks for doing this today. Appreciate your time. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Again, thank you to my bookie. Check them out at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Atlas. Thanks for all the support to the listeners, the fans. Like Teddy always says, that's the reason we're doing this. Uh, if you like the show, please take one minute and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps massively. It, it genuinely does. It helps us with advertisers, sponsors, which allows us to do this show. So, Thanks for tuning in. Again, check out Teddy's audio book on Audible. Um, You got anything before we say goodbye, Teddy? Yeah, I'll see you in court. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Ken.